0: Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 was where we're really going to hang out a lot today. I know Pastor Travis has celebrated a ton of what's been happening in our church and what is coming up. I do want to encourage you, we are starting something, uh, The uh, net, well, the first Wednesday of next month. We're going to do it until the end of the year. We're going to do early morning prayer the first Wednesday of every month through the end of the year, um, from 6 to 7, uh, right here, yep, yep, yep. Uh, we want you to come and be a part of that. We did it. Uh, Leaning up to friend day last week for a few weeks and uh, man, we just really want to continue that So we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. You'll be out of that in time each month You'll be out of that in time to get to work to get to school, whatever you need to do. But come and join us as we seek God for the opportunity uh, to reach our neighborhood, to reach our neighbors, um, and to just see God do things that we can't do without him. We're really excited about that. Just want to let you know that begins next month, first Wednesday every month from 6 to 7 a.m. It's going to be a great time. Hey, we're in this series. We started it last week, um, kind of unannounced, but we started this series called Hope Dealers. And here's, here's why I really want to go in Uh, to this series and talk about this is, uh, I believe um, looking around and encountering more and more people, I believe that we're all looking for hope. I believe everybody in this room is looking for hope. Some to deeper extents than others. Some are, you know, kind of getting to a place where you're finding it. And and I don't think it's exclusive to just people that aren't followers of Jesus right now. I don't think it's exclusive. I don't think it's exclusive to people in the church. I think people everywhere are looking for hope. And if we're transparent and honest with ourselves, man, you've been to a place probably within the past few months to where you're just kind of like, dear God, is anything going to change? There has to be way out there has to be a change if you're anything like me man you're inundated right with information with opinions with what you're supposed to believe and what you're not supposed to believe and you're made to feel bad if you don't believe what everybody else believes but nobody believes the same thing come on y'all and there's moments in my life where I'm like I cannot take this anymore There's got to be something. There's got to be something that is consistent because nothing's consistent anymore. And nothing is solid anymore. And like we just keep like today there's this news article and tomorrow it will be different contradicting the one that they wrote yesterday. Right? And then there's this video telling me that I'm a terrible person for thinking this way when I don't think that way but they think I think that way. And, and, and like, there's, there's, there's this searching to where I believe there's people all over the world that are just like, we've got to find something. There's got to be something different. And I see it in the church. I see it outside of the church. I see it on social media. I see it everywhere. Everybody is searching and looking for hope. Somewhere, and I'm not saying that we're the only generation that's ever dealt with this. I'm not saying that no other generation has ever dealt with it. What I'm saying is, is where we are today, we're sitting here going, Dear God, is something ever gonna change? Is anything gonna break in our favor? Is it ever gonna shift? Like, what is gonna happen? We're looking for where do we go and what do we do and what are we supposed to believe? How do I even do life? And I just want to give you some hope today that um, there are, I want to give you some encouragement today that there is real hope, but I also want to warn you that there is also counterfeit hope. And so today my goal is, is that no matter where you are on your faith journey, no matter where you are in life, that we would walk out of here with a greater understanding of how to be able to, how to decipher and be able to tell the difference between real hope and and counterfeit hope. Because if I can't tell the difference, I may fall into something and believe something that has no substance to it. And I have no idea until I try to spend that later in life. If I give you a counterfeit $100 bill, right, it may look good until you go to spend it. And then when you go to spend it, you realize you don't have what you need to have in order to pay for the things that you need and i don't want you to get in life to where you're bought into this counterfeit hope and when you go to spin that hope you go there's no substance to it there's nothing there in fact i want to i want to tell you this hope is not abstract hope is not abstract i think a lot of people think that hope is just this thing that's just abstract and it's out there and you're never actually going to find it hope is not abstract hope is spiritual Hope is spiritual. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says it like this. You can write this down and go read it when you get home today. And it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does that scripture have to do with hope? Faith, watch this, moves us from merely hoping to believing. I believe that faith connects the hope to belief and marries them to create action. You know how I can tell if you actually believe something? By if you're willing to back it up with your life. If you're willing to back it up with what you do, right? It's it's not, it, it means nothing if I go, man, I hope I can get in shape, right? I hope that I can get my nutrition right and eat the right things. And then if you're anything like me, you sat down last night to watch the Gamecock football game, praise God, and you were eating a little Debbie Fudge round. How many of you know, hoping to eat right ain't going to do me any good in that moment, is it? Like, I hope I get in shape. And then we'll pray prayers like this. Like, Lord, make this meal to the nourishment of my body while I'm eating a double Whopper. But that Coke Zero cancels it out, praise God. Y'all don't act holy. I do the same thing, you know. That sometimes they just good, you know. But hope does nothing. But when I have faith, Married to what I'm hoping for, I now believe that it can take place, and now I'll go. Well, I'm not going to say no to a fudge round, and I'm going to say yes to a protein bar. Yeah, that got real quiet. <laughs> Y'all all like, nah, we ain't doing that, Pastor. We ain't go- You speaking gibberish now? That ain't that ain't real. You know, like you see what I'm saying? The hope is that I hope I do this. I hope I do that. At some point, we got to stand up and go. I'm going to actually do what I'm hoping for. I'm going to actually put some kind of action in place when it takes place. Faith moves us from merely hoping to believing, which belief establishes action. And when we can hope and have faith in God in difficult or tough times, we now keep faith alive. I like what a preacher in 1952, I don't know the name of the guy, I was reading part of the sermon the other day, and this, 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 that's the nerding out that pastors do. We go read old sermons of other people, and, and, he, and he said it like this. In 1952, he said, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and how big he is. Let me say that again. Hope is the confident expectation. What if, and I would say, I would say this, do you know what confident expectation is in one word? Faith. Hope is the confident expectation or the faith of what God has promised and how big he is. I would say what I believe about God dictates what I do with my life. The amount of time that I spend in prayer is dictated by how much I think God deserves for me to talk to him. When it's not really him that deserves anything. Or or it's not really me that deserves anything. I don't deserve for him to talk to me. I just get to speak to him. Hebrews says that we get to approach the throne of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we get, what do I believe about God? That determines how much prayer I put in. Worship is dictated by how big I think God is. My faith is dictated. You see what I'm saying? Like What I say no to is dictated by what I think God has already said yes to for me. And so we get to this thing to where hope has to move past this abstract thought of, I hope one day, like I'm hoping one day a Toyota Tundra just shows up in my driveway. (laughs) Praise God. And I have the confident (laughs) expectation. No, but like there comes a moment where if I want that to happen, that's fine. But I eventually have to go to the dealership and work out a deal, sign the papers and drive it home with a key, right? At some point, we got to go, man, There's, there's. I have faith and hope in Jesus Christ that God is bigger than I think he is, that God is better than I think he is, and that what God has already said was not done in the what-if sense. It's done in the past tense because what he said has already been done in the kingdom of God, and I get to walk in his victory. That's what I believe. And my faith, thank you, my faith... My hope should dictate my actions towards that. And in our search for hope, what I'm afraid of that I'm watching happen all over, and I mean by us, not just you, not them, us, is that we're falling for counterfeit hope. We're falling for counterfeit hope. We're falling for the, the hope that looks like the original, but it does not have the substance of the real thing. There was there's an enemy. There's an enemy for your soul. You need to know that first and foremost. There's an enemy for your soul. And I know you may go, well, that's just kind of that mystical jargon and all that. No, it is a reality that there is an enemy. And it says that he is living in the earth and he is searching to and fro. He is roaming the earth. He is roaring, looking for whom he may devour. He's trying to find people that he can get off course so that he can devour them. And he will create. This is what he does. John chapter 8 verse 44 says that the enemy is the father of lies. Do you know what a counterfeit is? It's a lie. It's a lie that is made to look like the real thing. And so what the enemy wants to do is deceive us and give us the, the fake thing, the counterfeit, just enough to make us believe A, B, and C when the reality is it's, the real thing is just right here. But we'll believe just enough to get one degree off course for six months to a year and before we know it, we're at a destination that we never wanted to be in the first place. And it's counterfeit hope. I'm watching it all over the place. Uh, Um, John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus gives this uh, phrase and he makes this statement about the enemy of our souls and the savior of our souls. And he says, the thief, being the enemy, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And he says, but I, being Jesus, came that they, being us, may have life and have it abundantly. You have to understand there's an enemy that is out there and all he wants to do is steal everything from you. Steal your joy, steal your purpose, steal your life, steal your worship, steal your adoration for your spouse, steal your love for others. He wants to steal that. And then in the moment, he will kill everything about your life. It will not look the same. He doesn't have to kill you physically if he can kill you internally. And everything about your life now it's meaningless and you have no hope and you have no purpose. And you'd rather go sleep in a dark room than get around people that have any kind of joy in their life. And slowly he's killing you. And then in, in that moment he's destroyed your life and he's destroyed the hope that you have in this life. But Jesus says, that's what the enemy comes to do. But the truth is, I come because I want to give. I want to be generous with my life. I want to give you life abundantly. I want to give you joy, and I want to give you grace, and I want to give you love, and I want to give you mercy, and I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you all those things to such an extent that it is too much for you to handle. And that is what abundance means, is that I'll give you as much as you can handle, and then some. That is abundance. That means you have more than you actually need and Jesus is going, that is what I want for you. That is what I want for you. There's an enemy for your soul and there is a hope for your soul. But many of us are falling for the counterfeit hope instead of the hope of abundance. Counterfeit hope can look something like the thought that the pain that you have to endure every day due to your past or hurts will last until you get even. And then when you get revenge... Everything will go away. But what the counterfeit hope doesn't tell you is the moment you get revenge, you now have to live with that. Counterfeit hope will tell you you can get out of financial insecurity by being selfish and doing what it takes to get ahead and stab people in the back when real hope says just trust God and follow His principles and His commands and He's got you under control. Counterfeit hope will tell you that your spouse isn't there for you and you fill in that blank. There's hope in other places and other people. There's no problem with it. It's okay. They should have done their part. (laughs) Counterfeit hope will tell you that you have hope by numbing the pain in whatever way you need to numb the pain. Counterfeit hope will tell you that you should have more faith in the world and in the government than in the kingdom of God. Because one is attainable and, and one you can see and the other you cannot. Counterfeit truth or hope will tell us that your truth, my truth, is more important than the truth. Counterfeit hope tells me that what I feel is more important than who I am. And then if I just give in to how I feel, then I will find who I am. And feelings are horrible dictators. See, the truth is there's counterfeit hope everywhere we turn around. And some of you in the room are falling for counterfeit hope today. But there is real hope sitting in the room today. There is real hope for us all, and my hope is that we would walk out of here and we would understand that, number one, we weren't the only ones that ever have to deal with this. I'm going to show you that in a moment, but number two, how do we decipher between the two? Because I don't want to fall for the fake thing. I want to go for the real thing. I want real hope, and I believe that I'm speaking to some people today that want some real, strong, substance-having, foundational hope in their lives, and not just this thing that makes them feel good for a moment. We're not the only ones that have dealt with this. In fact, Jesus dealt with it in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 Jesus um, there's the story about Jesus having to deal with the difference of real hope and, and counterfeit hope in fact let's read it together it says then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil can I stop right there for a moment can I ask you to stop villainizing or vilifying if you will tests with God What does this say? It says he was led by the spirit for one reason, to be tested by the enemy. Why? The same reason you have to take a math test. And the teacher never talks to you during it. Because you don't know how far you have to go until you know how far you've come. I don't need to vilify a test. In fact, tests can help me get better. Tests show me what I need to do better. Let's keep going though. I could preach on that by itself. Verse 2. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Go figure, right? That's astounding. Verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Can I stop you? Can we stop right there for a minute? You're going to see a statement made two or three times in this story, and it is this. If you are the Son of God is what the enemy going to say to Jesus. Why? Because he's attacking the identity of Jesus. And he's doing the same thing today. Because if he can attack us in our identity and get us to be insecure and not confident in who we are, then we have nothing to stand on. And that is why there is no identity for so many people today. Because the enemy is coming along and he's going, if you are, do you really think, do you really think you're that? Do you really think, is that really what God said? Is it, he did it in the Garden of Eden. He did it on the Mount of Temptation. And he's doing it in the world today. Why? Because if he can attack your identity, he can attack you everywhere else too. Because you have no confidence. And there's no boldness. And I would just say, you got to know who you are. And before you know who you are, you have to know whose you are you have to know whose you are. Verse four, uh, or command that these stones become bread. Verse four, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse five, then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, here it is again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan! For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. I want to give you a couple things to consider when looking for hope so we don't fall for counterfeit hope. The first one is this. The enemy is looking for weakness. The enemy is looking for weakness. If I were to get in a fight with somebody today, and praise God, I hope that does not happen, if I was to get in a fight with somebody, I'm going to try to find the weakness. Where are they the most vulnerable? That's what I'm going to attack. The enemy is doing the exact same thing. In verse 2, it says, After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Isn't it interesting that after he hadn't eaten and all he wants is a pepperoni pizza, the enemy shows up with temptations. Have you ever noticed that the more hungry you are, like in a very real sense, I'm being serious here, the more tired you are, the more stressed you are, the more you're just kind of like stretched to no end. Have you ever noticed that's when the temptations seem to come the most? Why? He's looking for a weakness. He's looking to see, when are you at your wits end? And, and, and I, had a, I had a mentor one time. I called him and I said, I said uh, his name was Jerry. I said, Jerry, I can't take anymore. This was years and years ago. I said, I can't take anymore. If one more thing happens to me, I'm going to lose it, man. I'm, I'm going to walk out. I'm done. I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to clothesline somebody that don't even deserve it. I'm going to do something. Like, I'm, I'm quitting the job. I'm going crazy. And you know what he said to me? And, 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 it, and, it, and it made a lot of sense. He said, hey, man, congratulations. You just told the enemy exactly what he needed to do to break you. And I was like, oh, great. Thanks. Appreciate that. That's not what I wanted. Weakness presents opportunity for the, for the enemy. Can I tell you, if you're tired, go take a nap. Like, for real, go take a nap. Don't do it at work. And if you do, don't blame it on me. But, like, go to bed early one day. Leave the dishes in the sink. (laughs) Let the the clothes pile up for one more night. Like, listen, get some sleep because I'm telling you, the longer you go without refreshing, the more weakness you have for the enemy to attack. That's why rest is so important in the Bible. I know y'all are like, that's super practical. Is that really biblical? Yes! The Bible tells us we should rest at least one day a week. Take a moment and decompress, man. Go play golf. Go fishing or just sleep late one day. Praise God. Pastor Travis said something in our staff meeting or in our staff life group on Wednesday that that I really love and he said this. He said, your your care plan should be as intense as your battle plan. You know why? Why? You're not worth anything when you're too tired to do something. You can't help anybody when you wear yourself out. Moms, can I give you permission to just go home and go to bed today? For re- yeah, but I got so much to do. Okay, it'll be there tomorrow. Like set out bowls, put the cereal on the counter, pour the milk, and just go lay down. Like for real. Dads, can I give you permission to just go sit in your recliner, kick your feet up, and watch some football for a minute? Please. Like, I'm being dead serious. Let the kids, lock them in a room and let them tear it up. (laughs) Fix it tomorrow. Throw some granola bars on the floor and say, have fun for snack. (laughs) Now, I am having a little fun, but rest. Listen, when we're tired, we're more susceptible. When we're hungry, and I'm not just talking about physically hungry now. Some of us go through spiritual attacks, and we're wondering why, and it's because you haven't eaten the Word of God in months. The only time you eat is an all-you-can-eat buffet on Sundays, and that only holds you over for a few days. And then I want to wonder why everything is so hard on Wednesday and Thursday. I just feel, I just, Pastor, we need a Wednesday night service because I'm just so tired on Wednesday. I just ain't got it. Well, how about this? Wake up on Wednesday morning and read the Bible. Because if you're only eating during service, that's the problem. Y'all, y'all ain't with me today. If you're hungry, if you're frustrated and stressed, you ever notice when you're stressed and you're to wince in, and you're like, whoa, I will close. Don't look at me again. Y'all, and I'm just telling you, like, if I got a scowl on my face and I'm looking down at the floor in a store, don't bother me. It is for your safety, not mine. <laughs> I'm probably in a mood that day. I probably got something on my mind. I'm, I'm only kidding. Or check and find out. But... Man, what if we just went, you know what, God, you got it. I don't have to be so stressed. The reality is is when we're, um, when, we're, when we're tired, when we're frustrated, when we're stressed, when we're hungry, when we're whatever, we can't filter things correctly. And so counterfeit sneaks in. So weakness presents opportunity for the enemy. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 also tells me that weakness creates opportunity for God. Because it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that in my weakness, he is made strong. So what's the difference? Where am I turning when I'm weak? Am I doing what God is asking, or am I turning to everybody else? Strength only comes when I'm in Christ. Strength only comes from Christ and when I'm in Christ. So the enemy's looking for weakness, and during that, we have to learn to filter the opportunities coming at us because here's point number two, counterfeit looks real. Counterfeit looks real. You know, I could could hand you you a counterfeit $100 bill, and many times whenever you're given those or whatever's happening, um, you can't tell the difference. Counterfeit looks like the real thing, but again, there's no substance to it. Let's look at the temptations of Jesus because none of them are a lie. The enemy didn't necessarily lie about any of them. He just counterfeited them to look like the real thing a little bit, but it was selling your soul and there wasn't the same substance to it. Watch this. He, um, he, he says, command that these stones become bread. Command that these stones become bread. He's Jesus. I mean, God's already turned. He already made manna fall from the sky. In the Greek, that's crispe creme. Y'all get that on the way home. Krispy Kreme. It's okay. Y'all like what? He had already turned water from a rock. There's all these things happening. He's Jesus. He could have turned a stone into bread. That's no problem. He looked at him and he says, hey, we're on the pinnacle, right? We're on the pinnacle. Just throw yourself down off the cliff. Jump. The angels, it it says in the Bible, the angels won't let you hurt yourself. How many times have you ever felt like jumping over an emotional cliff? You're standing on the side and you're like, one more thing. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. One more person cuts me off in traffic. My kid looks at me like that one more time. My spouse doesn't listen to me. I understand there's a football game on. I don't care. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You get home from work and you like throw one more piece of paper on my desk. I dare you right now. And you're ready to jump over an emotional cliff and the enemy's going, yeah, go ahead, jump off. Jump into that website because your marriage ain't what you thought it should be. Go ahead. Jump into flirting with her. It don't matter. Your wife ain't around. Jump, Jump off. It's okay. Jump right into those things. Compromise your character. It's just one night. It's just one day. It's just one moment. Go ahead and jump off. The angels, they understand. They'll pick you up. They won't let you hit your foot. And it looks real good in the moment. And it looks like real hope in the moment because you're like, the Bible does say that. And When I was a youth pastor, this is a favorite phrase from some of my teenagers. Um, Yeah, I I messed up, Pastor Brandon, but like the blood of Jesus covers that, right? I mean, there's counterfeit hope to that. Yes, the blood of Jesus covers it, but did you knowingly walk into that? Because there's a sacrifice that has to be made for that. Like, you get what I'm saying, right? There's count, just jump right off. And the enemy looks at him and he goes, the Bible says this. And God looks at him and Jesus looks at him and goes, yeah, it does. And it also says, don't test the Lord your God. So I ain't jumping. I'm good. And then the last one, he goes, he takes him up uh, to the holy city and he's showing him. It says he's showing him all the kingdoms of the world and all the glories. And he goes, if you'll just bow down and worship me one time, just like give in to me one time, I'll give you all this. And for some of us in the room, the enemy's taking you to a pinnacle in your mind. And you see everybody else's marriage that you want. And everybody else's financial status that you want. And this and that. And and you see all the glories of it. And the enemy's going, I'll give you all that because you deserve it. You've been doing this thing 30 years, man. You deserve that. If they can have it, you can have it. And there's a counterfeit hope. Because here's what Jesus came back with. He was like, no, 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 no. See, you don't understand. You didn't create that. God did. And God is my father. I don't need to put my hope in you because this is not real. This is fake. You can't give me any of that when it's already mine because I walk in the glory of a relationship with Father, with my creator, my God who created all this anyway. And so if I am an heir to Christ through being a son of God, then the reality is I already have access to all that anyway. So what am I bowing down to you for? It's a counterfeit hope. It's a counterfeit hope. And we're buying into this thing. Hook, line, and sinker. And here's what I want you to pay attention to. Do you, see, do you see how he was able to decipher between real and counterfeit? Scripture. He knew the word of God. He knew what God said. And that's what I'm afraid of is there's so many of us that want to know how to decipher, but we don't know what God stands for. Or when we do, we don't agree with it, so I don't want to listen to it. And it's this matter of I either give my life to him and listen to him and live with him and walk with him, or I don't. There is no fence riding. There is no in between. Because if I don't know his scripture, when counterfeit hope comes into my life, I don't know how to decipher between the real thing and the fake thing. I don't know the difference. And God's going, you have to be able to decipher because it's coming. And can I tell you, I'm going to be real honest with you and real transparent, it's coming for you. There is counterfeit hope in your life today. When you walk out of here today, there's counterfeit hope that's going to be projected into your life. And you have to make the decision. Is it real or is it fake? So here's the reality. Number two, counterfeit looks real. Here's the third thought, real quick. Consider this when searching for hope. Let let heaven minister to you. I want to show you something. I remember when I was a teenager and I first read this scripture, and it has wrecked me, and it is so interesting to me. Verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him. Why did he leave him? Because the verse before that, he says, Go, Satan. Can I just give you a thought? How much are we rebuking Satan? Satan. Versus asking God to change the circumstance. God, I do not like where you have me. Will you change this? God, I don't want you to get rid of the enemy. I want the same struggles, but I want a different result. I want the same enemy in my life. You know that's what we're saying, right? Just change the circumstance. And we've become inundated with the product, and we've begun to hate the process. And the reality is, is some of us need to look and go, you know what, God, I want you to change the circumstance. But in order to change the circumstance, you got to change the enemy. you got to get the enemy out of here, so I rebuke you right now. I rebuke you. And some of you need to go home, and y'all are like, that's, that's church language. Yeah, rebuke is a church language. But I'm going to tell you, what it means is you need to tell the enemy to leave your marriage. You need to tell the enemy to leave your kids alone. You need to tell the enemy to leave your house alone. You need to tell the enemy to leave your thoughts alone. You need to tell the enemy to leave your belief alone. Because if I'm hidden in Christ, guess what? He don't see me anymore when I begin to walk in the ways of God. He sees Christ. He sees Jesus. And where Jesus is, the enemy can't be. I don't know if y'all are grabbing this today. It says, then the devil left him, and watches, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. What are the specifics of that? What does it mean that, he, that they became a minister to him? I don't know. Nobody really knows what exactly took place. But I do think it's real interesting that he was tired, he was hungry, and he was beat up from being in a battle with the enemy. And it says the angels came and ministered to him. Listen to me right now. If Jesus needed angels to minister to him and heal him, we need angels to minister to us and heal us. And it begs me to ask this question for all of us, myself included. Who is ministering to you? And I'm not just talking about physical people. I'm not just talking about the church you call home. All those are important. I'm talking about where do I run to when I'm the most tired, the most stressed, and the most beat up. Who do I allow to give me some food and some, some balm, some, some something that's going to heal the wounds that I've dealt with? Heavenly ministry and earthly ministry look very different. But earthly ministry has a counterfeit. It's fake, but it looks kind of, you know, the same worship. When we sing and when we lift our hands and we lift our voices, do you understand that's not just something we do in church just to do it? That is an adoration. It is all the way back in the Old Testament. It ushered in the presence of God. It is a moment for us to go, God, I put you first. And the Bible, Romans 12 actually says that worship should be our life. That's heavenly ministry. Worshipping idols and jobs and money and status, that's earthly ministry. Kind of the same feeling, but no substance. Prayer, conversations with God. Hebrews tells us that we have access to the throne of God through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus. Prayer, I get to go to the throne and have a conversation with the creator of the universe. The God that loves me no matter who doesn't. That is heavenly ministry. Earthly ministry is when I go to everybody else's opinions and their gossip. Which one's ministering to us? Church. It's heavenly ministry. We come together with our faith family who has our back, who is doing life together, and we lift up the name of Jesus and we are transparent about our sins and our struggles so that we can walk through this life together and we pray together and we serve together and we change the world together for the kingdom of God. That is heavenly ministry. Earthly ministry is isolation. When I pull back, And the first thing I give up isn't the things of the world. It's the things of the kingdom. I stop serving and I stop giving and I stop worshiping and I stop praying and I stop doing all these things and I pull back from life group and I have nobody else in my life. Why? Because that is earthly ministry. I'm letting that minister to me. I'd rather be alone. Whenever the Bible clearly says we don't do life alone. The Bible, knowing what God says is heavenly ministry. Social media and news and articles is earthly ministry. None of which, of any of those things, are bad by themselves. But when I allow them to minister to me, then I become about those things. And you see, the counterfeit looks like the real, but it doesn't have the substance of it. And the truth of the matter is we have to answer the question, who is ministering to you? And here's what I know. There's so many of us that are going to watch this back this week or you're in the room today or you're online right now and you are searching for hope and you're going, okay, counterfeit. I get it. You have a point. I understand that there's counterfeit. So what is the real? I just want to tell you what the real hope is. The real hope is not found in news articles and social media and real hope is not found in the bottles and it's not found in this stuff. I'm telling you where real hope is around. There is one real hope and it is not me and it is not you and is not stuff and is not in the world. There is one real hope and his name is Jesus. And he came and he was born of a virgin and during his life on this earth he carried the Bible says everything that we would carry he went through everything that we would go through and then he suffered and he died and he hung on a cross and he became our sin because we couldn't bear it and we couldn't pay it so he did and when he buried his last they put him in a tomb but it wasn't over because three days later he got up and he Rose with the victory of the keys of the death, hell, and the grave that you and I don't have to pay for. There's one hope, and it's not just spiritual, and it's not just biblical. It's historical, and it's real, and his name is Jesus. And it's not counterfeit, and it's not fake, and he'll never walk away, and he'll never leave. He sees us through the brightest of days and the darkest of days. And before we can deal hope and point others towards real hope and we can offer that to people in the world because that's what we want to get to. Before that, we have to have real hope in our lives. We can't live counterfeit hope and offer real hope because you cannot give what you do not have. And so today, I just want to pray with you in closing. And if you're in this room and you're like, I, "That's what, I need the real hope of Jesus, I, I need it. And today, I, I, I've been searching, I've, I've been looking, and, and today I just want to give him my life. And there's one living hope. Every other religion in the world will try to get you to believe in a, in a God, and they're dead. And they have not come back alive. There's one God, there's one Savior named Jesus, and it has been proven over and over again that he actually raised up from the dead for our victory to sit us with God for eternity. And today, if you're ready to give your life to him, we got some team members getting ready to serve you on your way out today, but here's what I want you to do. I just want you to pray this with me right where you are. With heads bowed, eyes closed, We're just gonna pray a prayer of giving our life to Jesus because there's one hope and he loves us where we are. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice that I don't have to be perfect because you were. And so I ask that you forgive me of my past, my present, and redeem my future. Let me walk with you. Thank you for giving your life so that I can have life. And God, thank you for sending Jesus to the earth to pay the debt of sin that I cannot pay so that I can spend eternity with you starting now. I ask that you replace my sinful life with your perfect one. Now, if you're in the room, everyone's continuing to pray and you prayed that prayer and you gave him your life today. And it wasn't just like, hey, yeah, I wanna do this. It was, no, I really am giving him my life. I want to live for him, the real hope. I just want to know who I was praying with. If you would, just raise your hand right where you are. Just raise it up high and go right here. I prayed that prayer. I gave my life to Jesus today. I gave him everything that I have. What's going to happen? Just keep holding it up. Somebody's going to put a clipboard in your hand. And the reason is, is we do believe in doing life together at Radiate. And so what I want you to do Online, There's some instructions on the screen if you're ready to pray that prayer right where you are. But if you're in the room, fill that out before you leave today and take it by the care corner on your way back. We have something we want to put in your hand and we want to pray with you and walk this out with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for life change. Thank you for who you are and thank you for loving us. I pray that we would find real hope and not counterfeit hope and that we would walk out with you and change the world from this day forward. I thank you that you love us the way that you do because you don't have to, but you choose to. And God, there's hope in that. And as we follow the real hope of Jesus, let us deal the real hope to others. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.